today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. Speaking with the Minister of the Environment and Climate Change, uh, the Honorable Catherine McKenna, who uh, was in town uh, doing a number of things today. Minister, thank you so much for joining us and uh, welcome back to Hamilton. It's been a while. Uh, it's great to be back. I was born in Hamilton. My parents are still the house that I grew up in, so always awesome to be back in, in Hamilton. So it's like a family reunion. You're here for business and, and family at the same time. That's right. Uh, so it's, uh, it's win-win. Listen, when the, you were with us last time, a, a couple of months ago, uh, you were talking about the the government's commitment to Great Lakes and, and to water cleanup, and, and that dates all the way back even to a, a previous Liberal government, the Paul Martin government, and their commitment to Randall Reef. I know that you spent some time uh, talking to the folks at the Bay Area Climate Change Office, which is an exciting project that's going on up at Mohawk College. Yeah, so I, I was so it was great to go up to Mohawk College and see the amazing things that are going on there, but they have a new building that is going to host this, this climate center, but the building itself is net zero, so it actually produces more energy than it uses, so saving, uh, saving Mohawk College money, um, and they have students involved in, in, in uh, building the building, and it actually costs no more to build, so it was great. I talked to some of the workers there, so lots of good jobs associated with that project, and the mayors were both there. So I had the Mayor um, Eisenberger from Hamilton, uh, Mayor Golding from Burlington, um, and they were talking about this, this new center. And it's really exciting because this center is intended to share best practices. So folks in the Hamilton, uh, Burlington area have had to deal with extreme weather events like flooding, which actually costs a lot of money for the cities, um, but also flooding people's basements. So it costs folks money. Um, and so they're talking about, okay, how do we build better so that we're more resilient to the very real impacts and costs of climate change right now? Also, how do we save money? How do we build better and save money? Um, and, uh, and how do we create good jobs and grow the economy here in the um, greater Hamilton area? So a really great initiative, although uh, there's actually a bit of bad news um, because the Ford government is actually costing them money because they canceled the program. Abruptly, so they, uh, the the Mohawk College and uh, and the mayors were counting on this project going ahead, and uh, without really any notice, they just told them that they didn't, they weren't going to support it anymore. And I think it's really disappointing. Um, you know, this is about how do we build better, how do we save people money, and and ironically, I mean, the government that says they want to create jobs and save folks money is doing the opposite. Um, so anyway, we had a conversation about how. You know, we could work together. I, I'm very committed to supporting cities uh, who want to see climate action, um, universities, colleges, uh, hospitals, schools. Um, a couple other projects that I, I hear were canceled in the, uh, the Hamilton area by the Ford government was uh, the school boards. So $2 million that schools were counting on for retrofits, once again, to save money. And also, kids really care about climate change. So, uh, you know, they want to see the, they want to see, you know, building better. Um, and also, there was a pilot project for electric buses. Once again, cheaper because uh, you're going on, you're using, um, uh, you, you know, you're, you're not using, uh, you're not using gas. And so, a, a great project, but that's been canceled. Um, because of the Ford government's decision. So all of these are actually costing money. But look, uh, it's a great story. Um, great to see what's going on in Hamilton. Um, and really, uh, the commitment to, uh, to be smart about tackling climate change, to save money, to build better, to create good jobs. Um, Really awesome. Well, uh, the frustrating part that, that we've talked about on the program, especially when it comes to the work that you witnessed today at the, the climate change office, is is the, the, the climate is changing and there is climate change going on. I mean, we're having 100-year storms now four or five times every summer, uh, and that's causing flooding. And they're working, the research that they're doing up there is to try to combat that and to deal with that. I mean, that's that's not just a philosophical thing. That's a pragmatic use for this sort of thing. And it, it's, you know, the, the fact that all of a sudden they yank the funding for something that is so essential, not just to Hamilton but to many other cities right across the, the province and the country is, is somewhat disconcerting. Yeah, you know, it just doesn't make sense. Like, this is a real risk. If you don't build properly, you actually put people's lives at stake, people's, uh, you know, their assets, their homes. Um, and we need to be smart about this. Unfortunately, we are seeing the impacts of climate change. As you said, you know, 100-year storms, um, but also extreme weather, like extreme heat. 
Uh, and modeling shows that in the next 30 years, uh, we could be going to over 50 extreme heat days. And unfortunately, you know, for seniors, uh, for infants, for people that have uh, breathing problems, that can be like the difference between life and death. And there's also huge hospital costs associated with that. So we need to be smart uh, about what we do, um, looking at the real costs right now that we're seeing with climate change, but also the huge opportunity. And we didn't get out of the Stone Age because we ran out of stones. We got smarter and we can build better and save people money and create good jobs it was great when I was at Mohawk College. All the pride, all the, the material was being sourced in, uh, you know, in Ontario. Great. That's a great news story that the workers there uh, were, you know, I, I meet uh, Mike from the Hammer, right? Like there are people that are, are local workers who are proud to be working on this project. And what was really cool was that they, the students at Mohawk College are involved in this project, um, both in the, how it's being built, but also they'll be involved in maintaining it and so the, we're creating the, the jobs of the future. This is really where we're going. We can build better. We can be more efficient. Um, and we can save folks money. So, um, and I just really proud, you know what, being from Hamilton, it is really great to see, uh, it's a really great to see it here. First net zero, uh, um, post-secondary institution. Uh, right here in Hamilton. Well, let me ask you about job creation and about the, the reaction by industry uh, towards uh, some of the policies. Because uh, them that don't believe in this and don't think it should get the funding and, and don't believe in green energy and programs of that ilk uh, will tell us that, well, you know what, this is hurting energy uh, industry. It's it's costing jobs. Uh, the, you know, industry's not buying into this. Now, I know that, uh, that over the last couple of days you actually had the opportunity uh, to visit a place called Veriform, uh, which uh, to my mind is an industry that seems to be embracing what you're doing. Well, so I went to a small business called Veriform in Cambridge. This is a steel fabricator. So, you know, kind of, uh, you don't necessarily think of green. This isn't like a clean tech company. This is a company that's doing great, great business uh, fabricating steel. Um, And so it was amazing to see them because I, I met with the CEO and he said, like, even if you didn't care about climate change, just to just it, it makes sense for the bottom line. So they reduce their emissions by 70% and save $2 million. And it's not by doing really fancy things. Like it was just actually by, you know, being more efficient with, uh, with uh, like the resources. So, you know, like, you know, having automated machines. So you don't have them running all the time. I mean, they went to everything from, you know, not using plastic. So they didn't have to buy things. They just used cutlery that uh, you could use every day. So, at different fans and he said like it's just smart and he said he wouldn't have made any of these decisions if they didn't save him money and he said they absolutely save him money and that he he now believes that this is what everyone should do that there's a really great opportunity to just make smart decisions that are going to help your bottom line and of course you know help the planet well and to that end, uh, obviously, this is going to require political partnerships to happen, obviously between industry, but between levels of government. I know the mayors are on side. You met with Mayor Goldring and Mayor Eisenberger about this. Uh, uh, but you've also had some meetings most recently with uh, the newly minted uh, environment minister here for the province of Ontario under the Ford government. And uh, talk to us a little bit about that discussion that you had with, uh, with Minister Rod Phillips. Look, it's always nice to meet new counterparts, but it is really disappointing that the Ford government doesn't have uh, any climate plan. And and you can't have a plan for the economy without having a climate plan. Our government's been able to create 500,000 jobs, lowest lowest unemployment rates uh, since we've been tracking tracking our job numbers. And at the same time, we've been able to, to actually take action to protect the environment. And I explain that. Like, if you care about jobs, if you care about economic opportunity, if you care about saving folks money, then you should be taking climate action. Uh, but they don't seem to have a plan. And at the same time, you know, they're canceling all of these contracts. So schools are left on the hook. You know, colleges are left on the hook. Hospitals uh, on the hook. And cities are on the hook. Um, and they're just trying to save money. So ironically, the, 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 you know, the, the Ford government is actually costing people money, um, not saving people money. We should all be supporting measures that are going to save money, that are going to create jobs, um, just like I saw at Mohawk College, like I saw at Veriform, um, and hearing from mayors, it was just very practical things that folks can do. Um, 
so look, I, you know, this happened uh, with the Trump administration. Um, and so we decided that we were going to work directly with uh, the states. States are governors are, you know, all in on climate action on climate action and businesses. And we're doing the same thing. You know, that's what we'll do. We'll continue to support Ontarians who, of course, want jobs. I'm very focused on that. But also, I uh, want to save money. Care about the future they're leaving for their kids. Well, it was a little frustrating, actually, even through the uh, provincial election campaign here when Mr. Ford kept referring to the fact that he wanted to scrap the carbon tax in Ontario. We didn't have a carbon tax in Ontario. We had a cap-and-trade program, which is a totally different animal. But uh, be that as it may, uh, he has scrapped it, and we have to live with the consequences. Uh, the premiers are meeting in New Brunswick, as you know, Minister, and, and obviously Premier Ford is there, as Premier Moe from Saskatchewan, uh, two people that are vowing to fight the federal government uh, with this carbon tax. Uh, they're trying to get support from what we're told. I know they talked to Premier Pallister from Manitoba, among others, uh, trying to gain a number of people uh, from the, the other premiers and the other provinces to come on side with this. Uh, does this at all deter the government with uh, what they want to do moving forward with carbon taxing and, and, and the policy that you've already in, instituted and, and have said that you're going to, uh, to continue with? Look, we have a climate plan. We've made historic investments in public transportation, working with provinces, working with cities. We're supporting businesses, energy uh, you know, unfortunately, Saskatchewan you now is, uh, you know, the Ford government is supporting Saskatchewan. But, you know, you have a conservative government in Manitoba uh, that's working with us. You know, the the provinces across the board understand that you need to climate action. No, we're starting to break up here. I think you're in a bad spot here, unfortunately. So uh, we may have break it off at this point. Uh, lots more to talk about. Uh, and we do uh, look forward, Minister, to, to you having you back in studio here so we can uh, uh, get into further detail about some of these issues. But thank you so much for the time today. It's uh, great talking with so you much. again. so much. really appreciate it. Sorry about uh, to, to some other great work uh, going on. All right, we'll catch up later on. Thanks again. Uh, Minister for the Environment and Climate Change, the Honorable Catherine McKenna, in town uh, up at Mohawk and uh, looking at some other programs. And, of course, uh, the elephant in the room, of course, is going to be uh, just how the premiers decide that they want to move forward on uh, on the carbon pricing policy. Uh, BC already doing that. Uh, we mentioned Manitoba just a few minutes ago. Uh, they've already put a price on carbon. Uh, Prime, Premier Pallister has already suggested that they're going to move forward on that. They're getting a little skittish about some of the things, but uh, the last word we had uh, from the Prime Minister was that uh, if Ontario doesn't want to do this, well, the carbon tax is going to be imposed anyway, and the money that is uh, generated from that will be coming back to you and me in individual checks, like a, a dividend check. It's uh, interesting to see how this is going to roll out and just what kind of a relationship we're going to have between the provincial and federal governments. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. Well, as we were talking about in our last segment with uh, Environment Minister Catherine McKenna, uh, the province's uh, bosses, those are the premiers of, of the provinces, of course, uh, have been getting together in New Brunswick. They're wrapping that up today. Uh, they didn't, yeah, they talked a little bit about interprovincial trade, but they also talked about uh, the pending carbon tax that uh, the federal government will be uh, using. They've already passed legislation on this, and we already know, of course, that Saskatchewan uh, intends to fight this in court. That uh, the the I guess the gist of their case is going to be: look, at the federal government doesn't have any right to be able to impose a tax like this. Uh, now, of course, recently elected uh, Ontario Premier Doug Ford is a kindred spirit. He, uh, of course, campaigned on, on getting rid of, well, he kept calling it the carbon tax in Ontario. We didn't have one. We actually had a cap-and-trade program, but he did dump that, of course, as soon as he gets sworn in. And he vows that he's going to join with Saskatchewan in trying to get rid of this thing, uh, fight the court case. They've already allocated some money, I think $30 million in, in legal fees that they anticipate they're going to have to spend on this. One of the things that uh, Mr. Ford said that he was going to do when he went to the Premier's meeting was try to curry favor with some of the other premiers to join the fight. Well, apparently it's not going very well. Uh, for the, the word we've got today is that uh, none of them have decided to join Saskatchewan and Ontario in this fight. Does that mean that uh, it's a done deal, a fait accompli, that carbon prices is coming in? Uh, let's talk to Parker Gland about this, Vice President of Wind Concerns Ontario. And uh, first of all, Parker, thanks so much for the time. Good to have you with us today. It's nice to be back, Bill. It's it's so difficult to, to try to get some continuity about what's going on here. I mean, the, the cap-and-trade thing is gone. We know that. That's 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 uh, fait accompli as far as Ontario is concerned right now. 
The federal issue is a, is a much broader issue, though, because this federal legislation that's in play here, and, and I got the sense, I, I wanted to get your read on this, Parker, that uh, some of the comments from the premiers that said they weren't going to join in this legal fight against what the federal government is doing, not because they didn't have some concerns, they just, I guess, got legal advice that suggested, you know what, you're not going to win, so don't waste your time or money. Well, I, I, you know, I'm not going to... I'm not going to pretend that I'm a lawyer and then I can and, and speak from the, the legal aspects of the Constitution or, you know, or the Bill of Rights or anything else. I mean, we'll just have to let the courts decide, if you will, what happens uh, when Saskatchewan takes this forward and Ontario supports them. But, I mean, you know, the, the interesting thing, I think, is that quite a number of provinces have come out now and said, you know, we are either not supporting a carbon tax or cap-and-trade, or we're going to limit the amount. As an example, you, you mentioned Manitoba. Manitoba, you know, has limited the amount that they're going to hit their general population up for in respect to their carbon tax. They think they've limited to a maximum of $25, whereas I think the federal legislation calls for $50 by the time Manitoba's at 25. So how does the Fed react to that in, in a situation like that? They're sort of going along with it, but, but not really, not with the full intent that the, that the Feds would like to see. Yeah, no. Uh, I mean, the, the other thing is, uh, I don't know, but New Brunswick as well, um, and uh, Premier Gallant, no relation. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he's probably originally traces his roots back to Prince Edward Island, uh, has said that he's going to take some of the carbon, some of the a gas tax and basically move it into a fund for the carbon tax. So he's going to, you know, they charge, I think, it was over 15 cents provincial tax uh, on a, you know, a liter of gasoline. They're going to take some of that and, uh, and move it into a special fund. And they're going to increase that as, you know, as the uh, time moves forward. Uh, PEI has said, no, they're not going to go for a carbon tax. They're against it, yet they're a liberal government. And, uh, you know, so in Alberta, of course, depending on what happens to uh, the ele- and the election coming up there next year, um, have said clearly that you know they're not going to support uh, if the conservatives get in, they're not going to support a carbon tax. They're going to fight it as well. So you've got a lot of the population, if you will, Ontario included, that is against it. And you know, if you're a, a liberal party and you're hoping to you know, get reelected, uh, you've got to look at whether or not you're going to get support from uh, where you got your votes before. And I would say, you know, as a, an outsider looking in, they've got to be concerned about the fact that if they lose a lot of seats, they're going to lose their majority. Uh, they may, you know, wind up like Kathleen Wynne has wound up. Well, one of the things that maybe is is maybe not on people's radar right now because a lot of this stuff about carbon taxing and everything just kind of flies right over people's heads. They just don't get it, and at this stage anyway, they don't want to pay too much attention to it because they got other things on their mind, uh, exacerbated with the fact that it's summertime and nobody seems to want to pay a whole lot of attention to politics. But but for, for those that are that maybe not you know up to speed on this. Uh, over a passage of time, once this is implemented, it's going to raise certain things. It's not one of these things that's just going to be a tax on industries, and we're not really going to see an impact on it. We are going to see it. I mean, gasoline prices are going to go up. Home heating fuel costs are going to go up. It's it's going to have a pack a, a definite impact on our bottom line and on our wallets. Oh yeah, it's it's going to have. My view is that it's going to have a a, a big big impact on the people that are in the low income and middle income groups particularly because i mean you know you know you think of when you go to the grocery store and you buy groceries all those groceries come from somewhere else generally speaking you know whether it's you know uh, you know fruit or uh, vegetables or meat it's it's shipped in from somewhere else i mean if you're buying alberta meat, beef you know it's coming all the way from alberta and if you're buying you know maple syrup from quebec it's coming from quebec each of those things, you know, uh, uh, are going to have an additional cost. The transportation companies that are bringing it to to the stores uh, have to raise the prices, right? So that, you know, pushes all the way up. So, I mean, the implications are pretty incredible. And I was just, at a, uh, you know, out of interest, I was looking at a chart that, I don't know, you know, um, British Petroleum comes out every year and talks about, uh, energy use around the world and looks at uh, CO2 emissions. They came out with their, their data just recently, and the uh, American Enterprise Institute took the information and, and published a chart out, and it shows 
it's just 10 countries with the largest reduction in increases in CO2 emissions in 2017. And this is millions of tons. USA was number one in reduction. Canada was in the increases side. We increased our CO2 emissions by almost, it looks like about 18 million tons in 2017. So, you know, even though we've had cap and trade or carbon taxes and, and a number of provinces, in 2017, you know, our emissions are going up, whereas the U.S.'s are going down, and they haven't got one. Well, that was one California. of the that was one of the really big uh, criticisms, and I think weaknesses of this whole idea about cap and trade is that you can buy credits, yeah. uh, so you can continue to pollute and just pay for it, and and you know, Bob's your uncle, you keep on doing what you're doing, so it's not really doing anything to reduce carbon emissions at all. No, it pushes up the price of everything else on the shelves, but it puts money in the pockets of the tax collectors, if you will, but. Beyond that, it's, that has no effect. And this is trickle-down economics that does work. Now, this is not the Reagan uh, trickle-down stuff. This just means if you're going to put a tax on those businesses, like you just said, uh, you know, if they're importing, you know, whatever it is, clothing or tomatoes or whatever it else, uh, the cost of of the product is going to go up. But I mean, you know, to get it from there to to market to your place, uh, I, I have yet to hear a trunking company right now, Parker, that says, "Oh, we'll just eat that cost. Don't yeah, worry right. about it." They're going to pass it on, of course. Yeah. yeah. And then the other thing about uh, electric vehicles, I've always wondered, well, if we're going to give them grants, you know, we hand out people money so they can buy a, you know, a uh, Tesla. I mean, that's crazy. You know, spend $140,000 on it, you can afford $14,000. But uh, beyond that, you think, well, oh, and, and for the first four or five years, they're getting their uh, electricity for free. So they're getting energy for free. Who's paying for the upkeep of the highways that those that they're using all the time. You know, that's one of the things that bothers me is the implications, if you will, of an action by the government should be followed all the way through. People should look at it and say, okay, if we do this, what happens down the line? You know, the cost-benefit analysis should be done before you enact legislation. There should be somebody, you know, with, with some common sense and with some, you know, economic ability within the government that should be able to crunch those numbers and say, wait a minute, if we do this, you know, it's going to, you know, affect, you know, something else. So we'd li- I'd like to see a lot more of, of, of the sort of cost-benefit studies done before they imp- implement these things that seem to be, you know, heading us in the right direction in terms of climate change or or, you know, or health care or anything else. Well, I, I've always had a philosophical problem with governments that, that do these sorts of programs that offer to, to try to assuage our angst about this, Parker. They'll give us what they call it, either a tax break uh, or a rebate or something like this. And, and, you know, they're using variations on that theme for this. Because you and I both know that 99.9% of the people that live in this country I'm not going to say they necessarily live paycheck to paycheck, but it's okay. Here's my take-home pay. i got to pay this, 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 and this. Uh, you can't say, oh, I, I'm going to get a $300 check at the end of the year. I'm going to put that aside to offset some of these costs. That that means nothing to people. Exactly. You need it on the 15th and the 30th when your paycheck comes in. You don't need it once or twice a year. It's not doing anybody a damn bit of good when that happens. No, yeah. no I totally agree with you. But anyway, it's it's as I said. Uh, even though uh, only you know Ontario stepped up and su- supports uh, Saskatchewan in this uh, legal action, you know the, the you know Newfoundland hasn't declared what they're doing yet. So that was, it's going to be you know it's kind of a wait and see. And of course they're an oil producing province, much like uh, Newfoundland, and they're also uh, have a liberal government there. So some of these things that are happening, I guess, are happening in you know in different ways in different provinces. And I mean, you know, uh, New Brunswick is, has got a pretty high tax rate already. So, you know, maybe Mr. Galantis or Premier Galantis is, is, is wise to sort of say, we, we're not going to increase the taxes anymore. You know, we're going to do is use some of the existing taxes and, and use that to satisfy the federal government. So we might see more of that. We might see that from Newfoundland as well, because they've got a fairly high tax regime as well. But you know they're facing all kinds of messes down there. The the uh, the big hydro dam that they're building is way over budget. You know and may never get completed. Uh, you know at less than double its original estimate it cost. So and then they got to sell that power somewhere. And if we're all reducing our consumption, you know maybe they won't have buyers. It's 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 uh, it's, it's 
you know, the, as I said, the implications of of some of these things that the governments decide to do should be looked at long term, and that's what's missing in this whole thing. And, and quite aside from the philosophical difference that, that Doug Ford might have about uh, taxing carbon and all these sorts of things. Uh, this is this is going to contravene one of his campaign promises. I mean, he ran on a populist campaign, and one of the things he said he was going to do was reduce the price of gasoline at the pump. Right, and, and yeah. he, you know, and he's vowed to do that time and time again. Well, he can he can do that until the cows come home if he wants. But the federal tax is going to go up on it. So you and I at the pump are going to say, "Where's my decrease?" And, yeah, right. You don't see it. That's exactly right. You know, one offsets the other. So. Pretty much, yeah. So yeah. Uh, you yeah, know, so we as Ontario consumers are going to say, "Well, you know, we're getting ripped off here." Yeah, but we're bound to say that, and we're bound to notice it. Not not immediately, because it takes a while for these things to sort of filter through the through the whole economic system. So, you know, it's a year from now we're going to say, oh, my God, you know, I'm still making the same amount of money I was making last year, but it's not going nearly as far, and I wonder why. I mean, there was a recent study just uh, I heard about a couple of days ago saying that, what is it, a uh, huge percentage of the population, including some people, uh, at the hundred thousand dollar level, can't sort of live day to day in this in this country. You know, I mean, I presume those people making a hundred thousand dollars that are having a struggle are the ones living in Vancouver with big mortgages or or Toronto with big mortgages. Mm-hmm. But you know, you hear those stories. Uh, you know, that somebody making a hundred thousand dollars, you can't imagine are going to be suffering. But uh, you know, some people don't don't do a very good job of managing their their income or or have stepped up to the plate and, and committed themselves to purchases that you know look cheap now because the interest rates stay low but what happens if interest rates go up well they are going up and yeah. we're told they're going to go up higher and, yeah. and, and there's a disconnect here between what governments want us to believe uh, about you know creating this this fabulous uh, environmental circumstance and and I I don't think anybody wants to not see that I think we're all on side with that but it's the cost that we have to pay for it and that that person that's making a hundred thousand or that family rather that's making a hundred thousand probably are not living in the city they're probably having to live in the suburbs or even maybe away from uh, you know thirty forty kilometers away from work so they can buy a house that they can afford, uh, which means they have to commute, which means the price of gasoline is going to be there because our public transit system in Ontario is not what it should be. No, exactly. You yeah. can't count on the fact that you can hop on a train or a bus and get to work, so you've got to drive. That's adding a cost. So, And then if you're driving into a big city like Toronto or Hamilton or anything, you got to pay to park once oh. you get there to work. So, you know, those costs add up. And So the government's saying, well, we're doing a lot of good things here for the environment. And and the consumers are saying, yeah, but you're, you're, you're dripping. I can't get any money. I don't have yeah. any money left in my pay. No, yeah, no progress. Right, exactly. Yeah. So, and you know that we're, it's great that you guys are doing this for the environment, but you know what am I going to do? Yeah. No, and and if, if we're the only country in the world, if you will, uh, you know that's on this path, except for Europe. Um, you know, why do we think, you know, with our contribution to emissions in the world, I think it's one point six percent of the world's emissions. Why do we think we can make a big difference? I mean, I'm looking at this chart, and I'm looking at the biggest increases, and of course, you you probably know it's China and India that that have increased the most. I mean, China's uh, increases in in CO2 emissions in 2017 looked like they were close to 120 million tons. (laughs) Millions, 120 millions of tons, right? And, And India's not far behind with around 90. So, I mean... You know, we're fighting this, and we're not going to make any difference at all in terms of reducing CO2 emissions, if that's the intent of the, of the carbon tax. You know, we're not going to do that. So we're going to penalize and hurt all of our people so that, you know, we can go in front of the world, in front of the UN, or, you know, wherever there's an economic meeting and say, oh, we did our job. But, you know, we're, we're minuscule. Unless this thing is attacked by everybody in the world, it ain't going anywhere. You know, we're not going to make a big difference. Well, it's a failing of, of so many governments, either provincially or federal governments, that simply don't take into account how's this going to affect somebody's bottom line? How's this going to affect your pocketbook and mine, our yeah. bank accounts, on a, on a weekly basis? You know, the, the, let's we get paid every couple of weeks. We don't make the kind of money some of these guys make in Ottawa. Uh, they don't have expense accounts. I mean, so they 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 take the hit on this sort of stuff. And and you know, it's not as if they don't want to see a better environment. It's not as if they don't want to see things get improved and a better world for our kids and our grandkids. We get that, 
But it just seems as if no matter what program they impose here, Parker, it filters down to have the most impact right here at us, on yeah, us. That's right. Yeah. And then the politicians, you know, talk that way when they're campaigning, but it seems when they get in and have the authority to do something, all of a sudden they forgot what they told us, right, to seek our votes. Where do we go from here? I mean, Saskatchewan's going to go through with this. We know this. And, and obviously, court cases like this take a long, long time. And, oh, yeah. and, and if, in fact, uh, Jason Kenney is successful in the Alberta election, obviously he's going to be a partner in this. We know that. Yep. Certainly Doug Ford is going to be a partner in this. Uh, so the court case, in one way or another, is going to go through. And we have no idea, as you mentioned at the beginning of our conversation, how that's going to turn out, uh, notwithstanding the advice that the rest of the premiers got from, I guess, their legal teams that say don't, you know, it's not going to happen, so don't worry about it. Yeah. But in the meantime, the program's going to be implemented. Oh, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, we're going to have this, you know, come election time next year uh, for, the, for the, uh, the federal government. We're going to have this thing hanging overhead. There's going to be a haze there. We're not going to know, you know, which way it's going to go because by that time, I, you know, if Saskatchewan um, gives, uh, you know, if, if the authorities there, the courts in Saskatchewan, give him what he wants, you know, there's going to be an appeal. There's going to be an appeal to the Superior Court, and the Superior Court of Saskatchewan will not have to make a decision. Again, if it goes in favor of, of uh, well, it's going to be appealed, and it'll go all the way to the Supreme Court of Canada. How long that's going to take to, wheel, you know, wind its way through the system is incredible. And, you know, it may be, you know, by the time of the election in 2023 that we'll finally find out. But who knows? Well, yeah, said, that's, that's the other wild card, though, isn't it? Over heads. That's the other wild card. There's a federal election next year. Yeah. Yep. And, and clearly, I mean, you know, the three parties that want to run this country right now, uh, one of them doesn't want to do this at all. Uh, that'll be the conservative party. Uh, and we don't know. I mean, things are pretty tight when you look at the national polling right now. So, I mean, that whole thing could get tossed out, too. So a lot of things up in the air right now. But in the meantime, all we know is that uh, our government and, and the Saskatchewan government and maybe even the Alberta government are going to spend a lot of money in court to try to get this thing knocked down. The federal government's going to spend a lot of money uh, trying to maintain this and try to justify this. And it's all tax dollars. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's, you know, it, it's bad legislation or bad timing, if you will, or something, you know, before you pass this kind of, you know, legislation, you should be, you know, trying to get a consensus across the, pro- you know, across the country, rather than ramming things down our throats. And that's what I think the voters are upset about, is we, we get too much of this rammed down our throats. And I think that's why we've had, you know, well, we had, we, we, we told the, you know, Terry Liberal Party, you know, the voters did, exactly what, how they felt about how they managed the economy over the past 15 years. People were obviously upset. Yeah, you know? well, they're still upset, Parker, so we'll see how yeah, they respond no, to this. Yeah, upset, right. Yeah. Listen, we got to break it off at this point. Thanks so much for the uh, conversation today. Always a pleasure. Uh, likewise, Bill. Thank you for having me. Talk again soon. Parker Gallant, Vice President, of course, of Wind Concerns Ontario. And it looks like the carbon tax will carry on and go through, at least on the federal level. But uh, the court challenges, as, as we just said, that could take years. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. Probably the most interesting of all the uh, cabinet uh, positions that were shuffled around uh, earlier this week by the Prime Minister uh, was Bill Blair, who, of course, was former Toronto Chief of Police and uh, already had a position, but now he is the Minister of Border Security and Organized Crime Reduction. Now, two very controversial subjects, and that alone is a story worth talking about. But there's a subtext to this whole thing because uh, those responsibilities uh, put him uh, right in the crosshairs of uh, our newly admitted Premier, Doug Ford, because those two have some history. Uh, Tim Harper, a National Affairs columnist and freelance writer, uh, writes about it. His uh, pieces in the Toronto Star today called Bill Blair Set to Play Good Cop, Bad Cop with an old enemy, Doug Ford. And Tim Harper joins us on the Bill Kelly Show to talk about this. Tim, thanks so much for the time. Good to have you with us today. How are you, Bill? Great, great, great piece today. And, I, and something that I think a lot of us uh, are, are very interested to see how this is going to work out. Quite aside from the controversy uh, that the government's facing right now with these two key issues about, obviously, gang crime and and, and what's happening with, well, what Doug Ford calls illegal immigrants, uh, is the history between these two, and it's pretty significant, isn't it? Oh, it really is. Now, um, I don't know whether this was um, 
Justin Trudeau being mischievous or um, just figuring uh, if I'm going to have to battle with Doug Ford, let's put Doug Ford's enemy right here in the tent, front and center. Because um, as you'll recall, when um, the infamous uh, uh, crack video involving the former Mayor Rob Ford, Doug's brother, uh, it had been out there reported on, but finally confirmed by Bill Blair. Uh, who, uh, when confirming the existence of said tape, also used the, uh, he went a little further and told um, uh, everyone at a press conference how he was disappointed uh, that uh, such a, a tape would be out there. Well, Doug went uh, apoplectic on him, uh, wanted to sue him, wanted him fired, um, that he had overstepped his boundaries, uh, and, and has never really uh, forgiven uh, Bill Blair for uh, the way he, acted when the uh when the rob ford crack tape was out there uh he he thought that uh bill blair was uh, uh ha- having officers um covertly tailing the uh the mayor at the time looking for uh uh crimes uh or or watching what he was doing there there was really really bad blood bill blair basically held his fire but as recently as a, as a year ago uh, when i was looking at this doug ford was was railing against bill blair uh again, when he was asked something about Blair. So there's uh, the dynamics between these two will be fascinating to watch. But, you know, I, uh, when you look at what's happening between Queens Park and, and Ottawa already and how quickly this relationship has devolved, uh, Bill, I think there is some logic in if uh, Doug Ford seems to be sp- uh, spoiling for a brawl every day, then you might as well bring the, uh, the cop under the tent and... Uh, and see how he deals with uh, uh, Doug Ford and how Ford deals with him. Well, that's that's the characterization, isn't it? I mean, basically, Trudeau's thrown a heavyweight against him and said, look at you want to talk tough, talk tough to this guy. Right. Now, we we may be overstating um, what Blair will be able to do because he's performed well uh, as a parliamentary secretary on the uh, cannabis uh, legislation, I believe. Yep. But he's a, but he, you know, now he's a cabinet minister. And you mentioned some of his responsibilities. We haven't seen, you know, the mandate letter that really spells out his uh, his uh, uh, responsibilities. But you mentioned, you know, take a look at any hot file out there that's uh, on the top of any news website. Uh, irregular migration and the backlog. Uh, well, that's uh, Bill Blair's job now. Um, gangs and uh, proliferation of guns in our uh, major cities. Uh, that's on Bill Blair's plate. Uh, cannabis. Uh, the rollout and beyond October 17th, uh, that's Bill Blair. The borders, whether it's uh, legal and, uh, or illegal gun running or uh, immigration um, or problems with um, Canadians crossing the border after cannabis has been uh, um, um, legalized, that's Bill Blair's job. So he, he's, he's touching on a lot of hot files. So the prime minister clearly has a lot of um, uh, confidence in him. But, uh, you know, he's been a cabinet minister for 48 hours. So, you know, we'll have, to, we'll have to wait and see how he performs. But, you know, based on how he performed as the parliamentary secretary, uh, taking the tough questions on the cannabis legislation, um, uh, he, he proved to be a very adept communicator and handled it well. But but you're right. He's uh, he's he's really gone into into darker territory right now because these are two, especially here in Ontario, and and more so, I guess, even in Toronto. Tim, these these are two key issues right now because uh, another guy that Doug Ford doesn't really get along with very well is John Tory. But they've actually struck some sort of an alliance anyway uh, to work together towards these two issues, and they're looking to Ottawa and saying, "Where's the solution?" Yeah, um, and I, clearly by putting. Um uh, Blair in charge of um, uh, the migration, uh, the asylum seeker uh, problem. It's an admission by the uh, Trudeau government that there is a problem, that you can scream all you want about how Andrew Scheer and Doug Ford are trying to turn this into a uh, a wedge issue, uh, that they lack empathy, that they're, as Ahmed Hussein, the immigration minister, said they're un-Canadian. Uh, but then when you put a minister in charge of it uh, to manage it, you've... Uh, you just conceded that yeah, it's more than a wedge issue. There is a problem. Um, so this is this will be um, it's a big job for Blair. Uh, there's a as you know a huge backlog. There's uh, housing shortages here in Toronto where I am, um, and uh, time's ticking. They um, uh, have to find accommodation uh, for asylum seekers uh, as they uh, as they're um, 
cases uh, went through the uh, the system. And, um, you know, uh, Blair is going to be the guy who's going to have to try to manage this. So, you know, again, uh, uh, a huge job. And, and the other thing about Bill Blair is, um, Bill, you, you know this, you can't be the police chief for 10 years and not be somewhat polarizing. So you do hear from people quite rightly that, um, you know, here's a guy who, who seems to be quite uh, sympathetic to the need for an amnesty for those who are carrying around pot possession convictions in this country after it becomes legalized. In fact, he's gone further than Ralph Goodale or others who've been asked about this, yet he presided over a police force that uh, uh, disproportionately charged uh, uh, blacks or, uh, in this city for uh, pot possession. He's you know, still remembered for seeding the uh, streets of this city uh, during the G20, the, the worst uh, um, uh, human rights uh, violations ever seen on the streets of Toronto came under Bill Blair's watch. He did not turn into the uh, reformer when it came to street carding that he promised that he would be uh, when he came in as chief. So, you know, don't underestimate the fact that, that uh, at least in this little part of the world, uh, you know, where we are, uh, he carries a lot of baggage with him. Not only that, but I'm wondering again to go back to, to, to the, I guess the the decision making process that the prime minister had to go through, and, and obviously, as we've mentioned, this is going to be a very, very tough portfolio. Uh, was the fact that Blair is from Toronto and was the the top cop in Toronto for so many years? I, I would think part of that decision making, in other words, there's not much of a learning curve here. He already knows this stuff because he was there. He's um, uh, got a good reputation when it comes to. Um, um, gun. He was a he was a big supporter of the um, uh, the gun registry. Um, Stephen Harper uh, and he did not get along because of that uh, during that debate. A long um, a long time uh, advocate of gun control, and and he, I I do know he has a very good understanding of the uh, root causes of um, uh, the proliferation of gangs in Toronto, for example, and, and would of the same reasons are, are there in other large cities in Canada that have a problem, you know, with lack of social programs, uh, poverty, uh, lack of uh, adequate, affordable housing, all plays into it. So, yeah, he's got a, he, he's already got the pedigree there. But um, the other thing I believe um, is, you know, one looming question that's always fascinated me, and I think the government's been quite inadequate on this, is how the... Um, U.S. border agents are going to deal with the marijuana question after it becomes legal. And I know there have been ongoing talks with Homeland Security, you know, whereby when you ask a Canadian coming across the border, do you smoke marijuana when it's legal, the federal government keeps telling us, don't lie. That's fine. But there has to be more of an accommodation on that because then you're just asking for secondary screening or perhaps worse. Uh, it slows down uh, the border crossings. I think when you have the former uh, chief of police in the city of Toronto now maybe uh, joining talks with Homeland Security, maybe that helps a little bit when you're dealing with uh, U.S. officials, giving, given your background and your resume. Because oh, that's not even negotiated yet, isn't it? I mean, you know, this, this comes in October, and, and we're not quite sure how that's going to roll out, if, excuse the bad pun, uh, with, with, when it comes to people that want to cross the border and previous convictions and things of this nature. Uh, this, this is a huge, huge portfolio that he's got. And yeah. I, I, I guess the day after, Timmy's probably sitting there, where do I begin? <laughs> well, uh, and it's also rather confusing because obviously parts of this portfolio play into public safety with Ralph Goodale and uh, part of it playing immigration with Hassan, and um, you know, um, it's it, like if I'm a bureaucrat in Ottawa trying to figure out now uh, who, who am I reporting to or, or uh, who's responsible for this, I'd be uh, I'd have a, a huge headache. It's very very complicated, um, and we're told by the prime minister's office that we're not going to get those those mandate letters, which, as you know, are the, the letters that spell out specifically uh, what the prime minister. Uh, believes your responsibilities and goals are. We're not going to get those till the, uh, the end of summer. So still a bit of a mystery as to, you know, exactly how, you know, how, how the, uh, the responsibilities are going to be divvied up in, uh, in, in different portfolios. But you're right, there's no doubt about it. Uh, he's been given uh, huge responsibilities on uh, pretty well every red-hot file out there. 
Tim, how does that work? I mean, as you've covered politics for so many years, as you mentioned, uh, this new newly created portfolio is really almost a hybrid, a, a little bit of this one, a little bit of this one. Uh, but there are already ministers there. Uh, there. There's always this concern about, hey, you're stepping on my toes. Hey, that's my responsibility. Uh, that, that's something I guess that needs to be worked out. And I know there's going to be a letter from the, the, the prime minister's office that says, here's what we expect of you. But there's still that interaction between those ministers. That, that's got to be a concern. Well, I mean, if you look at the, uh, the, the, the pot file, the cannabis file alone, uh, you've got the um, Attorney General, uh, Wilson Raybould, involved. Uh, you've got um, Bill Morneau because of the, uh, the taxing situation with it was, was deeply involved. Ralph Goodale's public safety, of course, was deeply involved. Uh, and now you've got uh, Bill Blair in charge of, uh, you know, making sure the stores are open and the uh, you know the price is right. So uh, there's right there. There's four ministers with uh, overlapping uh, responsibility for for the uh, cannabis rollout. Uh, I know the bureaucracy is still dealing with and will deal for a long time on the splitting of Indigenous affairs into those two portfolios that uh, are split between Jane Philpott and, and uh, Carolyn Bennett. So you know that that kind of stuff percolates in the background, and it's an interesting. Um, it's a process story that doesn't get covered, but uh, you wonder sometimes this government has been accused of, um, you know, reacting slowly uh, on uh, on some files, and you wonder if it's because there are so many overlapping uh, responsibilities now in, the, in different portfolios. It's not like, you know, um, it once was where there were complete, obvious silos of responsibility um, in, in, in departments and, and ministries. There, there, there's there's leakage out into other portfolios now, and I think it does sometimes slow down um, decision-making within the government. With with such a huge responsibility here, I, I ask you to speculate, Tim. What's, what's job one? Obviously, the gun violence is important, and the cannabis uh, rollout has, has got to be important, but it, it just seems as if the, the asylum seekers, is it's, it's a problem, uh, probably exacerbated by what we saw on the Mexican border a couple of weeks ago with how uh, the American authorities handled that. I, you know, I don't think anybody wants to see that. I hope they don't anyway. They want to see this here. But he's got to do something, I would think, to tr- to try to turn the heat down on that issue. Yeah, I think that would be number one priority because um, there there will be more. Uh, there there will be, there's emergency hearings coming up in Ottawa during the summer on this. This uh, I believe the Liberals have lost the um, the narrative on this, and it's not enough to to fire back and, and claim conservatives are sowing fear anymore. They're, it's not a crisis, as conservatives uh, in Ottawa will tell you, uh, and it, it's not the mess that uh, uh, Doug Ford's progressive conservatives uh, claimed when they just washed their hands of the, of the whole problem. But it is a problem, and um, the, the I think that the, the biggest worry for the uh, liberals uh, and I think for the country as a whole is it won't take very much for a, a backlash. Um, all you need is, you know, students can't get into uh, residences or something in because there's refugees from Nigeria there. It, it's not going to take much for the uh, uh, public opinion to turn quickly uh, on this. And uh, and this is not the uh, the image this government has worked very hard to, to uh, craft right from uh, day one with the Syrian refugee question. So I, I think that would be Bill Blair's number one job right there is to try to Get this managed somehow. Get get the money in here to Toronto uh, and into uh, Quebec to uh, provide the housing, uh, and and they have to they have to move quickly to put the resources in the uh, in a system that's badly backlogged. One of those fires he's got to put out though is, is as you say, some of the rhetoric that's coming out of this. And 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 Ford uh, conflated an awful lot of the issues that you just touched on. Uh, you know, lack of affordable housing, etc., social service assistance. Those problems existed before this 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 crisis uh, to use their word did. Uh, and this has only exacerbated it. So, I mean, I mean, you know, the, the government probably could have and should have done something about that long before that. And the fact that they dragged their heels on it like they have on so many other issues is what's made it as bad as it is now. Yeah, they're paying for it now. There's no question about it. Um, but, um, you know, I also we have to keep things in perspective. The, the numbers that we're seeing coming in, I, I know there are Canadians who, who are outraged. I hear from them all the time who believe that, uh, this is, you know, a, a matter of queue jumping, and uh, you know these these people are gaming the system. They're showing up in taxis and at the, the border, and um, and and some of this may be true, but the country has a a, 
an international obligation uh, to deal with with asylum seekers under the United Nations, and and as a as a, a country, it's our responsibility. Um, I think you hit the nail on the head. It's it's the lack of adequate, affordable accommodation and housing when you, you get an uptick of numbers in this like this because we're not being swamped by uh, refugees and asylum seekers in this country. We, we've had a, a a spike up. Uh, the numbers seem to be. Uh, Going down and leveling off a bit. I'm not. Uh, I'm not underplaying the problem, but it's actually more of a problem with infrastructure than it is with the mm. number of asylum seekers coming in. Um, but that's not an easy argument to, to make to uh, Canadians who think that. Uh, you know, the, the Prime Minister's made it easy for people to break the rules and come into the country. Well, and and that's part of the game politicians play, isn't it? I mean, sure. You know, you know, now, yeah, we haven't invested in affordable housing, and we haven't invested in, in uh, you know, jobs programs. Uh, but, you know, th- th- we're never going to get an influx of people. I mean, and, and now all of a sudden, it's because it's their fault, because they're never going to say, yeah, we screwed up. Uh, you never hear a politician say that these days, especially anyway. And, and and let's face it, I mean, this is the art of deflection to a certain extent, and because, I mean, Ford's going to say, yeah, this is all because of these asylum seekers, but the fact is, is the province has a responsibility to do these sorts of things, and they haven't done it. Now, he's new to the game, so he can't, you know, he can simply say it was the past government, and he'd be right to a certain extent on that. Doug Ford's been very effective so far in this honeymoon phase that, um, um, he, he, they, that government appears to wake up every day and look for a wedge issue to throw back at the uh, Trudeau Liberals. Uh, and he's getting away with it now. But, you know, it, it's it's very early game. Uh, and uh, you, you and I both know that uh, a year from now, when we're in a federal election, there won't be any honeymoon uh, left with Ford. It's going to be, you know, like any other marriage, you know, who left the toilet seat up and what, where were you last night? It's going to be <laughs> um, a much different environment. So, what we're seeing right now, I, I, I'm frankly a little gobsmacked myself at how quickly this is uh, this relationship between the two governments has um, devolved. With uh, Lisa McLeod uh, walking out of the meeting and uh, uh, the federal immigration minister calling the progressive conservatives un-Canadian and uh, uh, the dust-up between Rod Phillips and uh, Catherine McKenna on the environment and the sniping uh, on uh, social media and so on. Um, it's going to get tired real fast. The liberals seem to be uh, too easily provoked by this government. But, you know, the, that is the big... Uh, Doug Ford is the the figure that looms over this, this cabinet shuffle in so many ways, just as, you know, the previous cabinet shuffle was uh, all uh, precipitated by the fact they had to deal with Donald Trump. So Christopher Freeland was moved into foreign affairs and Stefan Dion was uh, shuffled out. Now they have to deal with Doug Ford. So, you know, you bring... Dominic LeBlanc to deal with the provinces and uh, Bill Blair in to deal with uh, matters on Ford's turf and uh, see if they go mano a mano with with Ford. So, you know, it's a cabinet shuffle again. It's reacting to external forces and who they have to deal with. Uh, so, you know, <laughs> they still don't know what to do about Donald Trump. Nobody does. We'll see whether they can figure out what to do about Doug Ford. Is Christy Freeland still available? No, I guess not. <laughs> <laughs> She's got her hands tied pretty much right now, I think, too, anyway. Yes, she does. Great piece in the star today. Uh, Tim, thanks, as always, for the time today. Really appreciate it. Have a great weekend. Love chatting with you, Bill. Thanks very much. Take care. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.